Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Joining me is co-host Ward Carroll. Also joining us, as always, is our producer, Chris Cervello, and our special guest, Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. Uh, the purpose of this podcast, break down a little bit more of our 19-6 to defeat to Tulsa in a, in a really rough game to watch. And I'll let fellow guests here kind of expound upon that a little bit more. Today, as we record this Sunday, the uh, the new AP Top 25 poll came out. No real changes in the top seven, Alabama number one, and an American Athletic Conference team right there at number seven in Cincinnati. Uh, Coastal Carolina comes up to 11 after beating BYU. Really, that's kind of about it for the American Athletic Conference. Everyone else has kind of fallen off of the radar so I'll just bring it to where Chris and I were thinking um, uh, during the game, you know, and that was, we were really amazed at how poorly the Tulsa quarterback played. And yet we could not take advantage of that. The Nelson Smith factor, which was so huge. The previous game was a non-factor today. Xavier Arline um, you know, with a pretty tough game. And then again, like turnovers and special teams problems. So Wags, from where you were sitting, I, I know you found it as painful as, as we did. And it, does it go deeper than that? Or is that simply what it is? Just turnovers, special teams problems and quarterback play? Well, it's all of the above and more. Um, obviously, as Chuck Gladchuck said on the pod last week, it, you got it. The, the quarterback play has been terrible and you have to get better quarterback play. And uh, the encouraging thing is Xavier, our line is a plebe and he has potential and it is good that he's getting a lot of practice repetitions and some game experience and give him a spring practice. Uh, and he could be a serviceable quarterback next year, but that doesn't help Navy this year with the most important game of the season still to be played. And John, I, I don't know what the answer is. And I'm almost thinking that against army and we'll talk about army much more next week, but it might be just put Dale and Morris out there and completely do a different uh, offense than what Navy has ever done. Throw the ball around the yard, five wide, you know, just chuck it around 40, 50 times and see what happens because I don't think they're going to fix the option at this point. Xavier admitted he made many, he had many misreads yesterday, uh, last night. He, he, he's just, he's new in the system. He's learning and he's just not quite ready to run read triple option. He's an athletic kid, a talented kid, but you know, it's the one all Xavier. I didn't see a lot of openings anywhere. The, Tulsa had two monsters up front. They had a guy 350 and a guy 290. Those two guys were like a wall. So the fullback wasn't running up the middle. Normally reliable Nelson Smith, who's carried the Navy offense to date, did nothing. And as we've seen all season, the slot backs are a non-factor in this offense. And on the rare occasions the Navy gets the ball outside, they get run down. So, you know, John, it, it may be a case of not lack of talent. I mean, it just... 
I don't know what the answer is. Michael Cooper didn't play again yesterday. C.J. Williams didn't play again yesterday. The offensive line has never come together. They've broken up their strong right side of Billy Honaker and Peter Nestowitz and put Honaker on the left side trying to solve that problem, and it just opens up another problem. So I don't know, John. It's 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 disappointing. It was frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that you were capturing the very essence of the emotion that we were feeling last night. And that was, man, you're not used to being frustrated by a Navy team. Um, you're used to seeing losses. There will be tough losses here and there. We're certainly used to more winning than losing in the last 10 to 15 years, certainly. Um, but but this is frustrating. So, Ward, from your perspective, from a very chilly and blustery sideline yesterday, we were watching you. Um, you didn't have to do a whole lot there in the first quarter, uh, just kind of a pillow fight up and down. But eventually they started moving the sticks, making you use those uh, Under Armour hovers. What, what was your perspective? Well, Wags nailed it in terms of the – frustration about the execution of the offense. The defense did a laudable job of, of keeping them close, right? At, at half, it was a three-point game. And what I can say about the sideline of Tulsa is they were really unhappy with the quarterback. You know, there was a lot, a lot of um, sort of WTFs and he missed so many wide open throws. He was Holy terrible. Cow. He was terrible. So this is the thing. Just like with Memphis, you know, um, they were gettable. So if we had had, you know, any offensive production, uh, we we could have we could have won this one. Um, and we we just when we'd get it back, uh, we we were unable to capitalize. Uh, whether it was uh, you know fumble recovery or any other kind of turnover, we had good field position. Um, so it is it is frustrating. I, I, like you, John, you're like, we're not used to seeing this level of, of a product, if you will, on the field um, in, the, in the Coach Ken era. Uh, so this is a weird year. We've documented the COVID ins and outs, you know, uh, infinitum since the beginning of the season. And I think particularly last night, with um, our line, he, he yeah, I, I'll I'll grant him everything that Wag said with respect to he's a plebe, he's got potential. Let's say all that's true, but wow, he, he just looked lost at 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 too many times last night. Um, the whole offensive scheme, it wasn't just him. Um, it looked the the usual flow just wasn't there. It it, it just looked chaotic. So I, I like Wags' idea, although I will say that Dalen Morris was hard to watch at the end of the game as much as our line was. Um, so I, I don't know if open it up, go five wide, would yield anything more fruitful. But at this point, it doesn't matter, right? I, I, I can tell you not to get ahead of ourselves with predictions of Army-Navy, but we're probably not going to be looking too good if we put that offense on the field trying to execute that triple option like we did last night because we certainly aren't going to be able to fix that in the next five days. Let's break it down. Xavier Arline had 27 carries for 60 yards. That's a 2.2 yard per carry average. Nelson Smith, 12 carries for 33 yards. Miles Fells. 
two for 11 before he got absolutely decleated on one of the roughest hits I had seen in a while. That was over near the Tulsa sideline, right? Where yeah, it was right there. It was right like, in front of me, that right in front of me. Horrible. It was horrible. Um, yeah. He was, he got, he was he got blown up. He was blown up um, and he yeah. wasn't there. He fumbled because he was not there. Yeah, that was a scary moment. Even scarier was when the Tulsa player went down um, earlier yeah. in the game and he didn't move for a long time. Um, he was and, knocked out. Well, yeah, but I was afraid it was going to a spinal injury because they kept pinching his leg. I don't know if you guys could see that from up in the press yeah. box. Um, and finally his legs moved and, and wow, uh, that was a, a relief. But uh, yeah, um, not not our finest moment. No, no, the numbers, the numbers were really bad. You know, the, the average yard per rush, obviously bad. And, and, and Wags talked about the, the two behemoths up front. Uh, Xavier, when he did throw the ball, uh, was four for eight for 27 yards. But even Chris and I were talking when he went back, his progression through the scheme, you know, he, he was not checking down. He was literally the first option was not there. And then it was a scramble, which, you know, led to either a negative rush or a very small rush, which is why he's 27 carries for 60 yards. And, and again, no disrespect to Zach Smith, but for a majority of the game, he was throwing with a really good tailwind, something that Ward and I really like to have, particularly on the back nine at the Naval Academy golf course. Um, he was throwing with a great tailwind and, and was just missing dudes like horribly. He was 10 for 25 for 168 yards, bailed out by a 66-yard touchdown pass to, uh, um, I believe it was Corey Taylor or Josh Johnson, actually. Um, but other than that, his QBR was 41. Um, so not solid. Again, very good. Well, the nicest team. pass of the night was called yeah. back because of a, a holding call, too. That was a gorgeous right. play. Um, oh, that yeah, got that, called, that post. called back. Yeah. yeah. The other thing like about a, the big guys. Like a 60 yard post. Yeah, no, it was, it was gorgeous. And we got lucky there that there was a holding call. Um, the other thing about the big guys up front, the call was literally, they'd say big, and the two sort of medium-sized guys would come out, and the two already gigantic guys were joined by two other beefarillos. And this was just a total wall of, of humongous guys, right? So when the dive was absolutely not working against that, that challenge, and like Wag said, we didn't have the speed to get to the outside with the option. So at that point, you're out of, you're out of slits. You know, it's just uh, uh, nothing's going to work. Yeah. Well, Jackson Player um, – yeah, Jackson Player, the the big number ninety kid, uh, interior defensive lineman, uh, 12, 12 tackles, ten solo tackles, two sacks, um, and four point five tackles for a loss. So Jackson Player basically was the guy, along with Justin Wright, who had five solo tackles and two and a half tackles for loss and a sack. So like the 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 interior defense was was phenomenal. And again, you know, Brian, uh, Newberry's guys were, were really wonderful. Like Tom Atuatelli had a great game. Uh, his family was in attendance. We, we talked to his mom beforehand. Um, and, you know, John Marshall played very, very well too, but you know, the, the defense was just out there too much. Chris, you know, it, you were there. We, we tried to digest this whole thing. Did any part of this analysis we're missing from your aspect? Diego Fago is so 
effing good. I, I mean, there are things that even when he is not, you know, making a tackle or when he is not in the middle, he is just doing things that um, are felt all across the the defense. Um, he he is a real joy to watch, and uh, you don't really get an appreciation as much watching it on TV because you know you tend to only see when he's in on the tackle or you, you know when he's putting pressure on the quarterback. But man, he was all over the field last night. Um, and so I, I guess I can't help but kind of think ahead to next year about how great he's going to be with another year in that system. Um, as for the triple option, I, man, it, I have never seen it that bad um, under a coach Ken or an IJ coach team. And I, I go back to when Kenny was a, uh, a quarterback's coach and IJ was a, was an, you know, a, a lowly assistant. I mean, I, I just have not seen, I, I don't remember a time when we've run the option so poorly, you know, we've played against big guys before we've played against teams that have, um, that have prepared well for the option, but we just do not run the option well this year. Uh, and, and I just can't see, um, how, anything comes together against army. I, I, I'm really down uh, thinking about what next week is going to be like. Well, I think Wags has the code cracked in that. I, I really do think that you have to go out there and, and just throw everything against the wall and see what sticks, which includes running. Let's run an old school, like, you know, Houston Oilers run and shoot, you know, like let's get Warren moon out there, uh, you know, with five, five wide receivers, but it's it's really a struggle. Um, well, before we go into actual preps for for Army Wags, I'll give you the final word on this because um, you know we're we're kind of out of answers. Chris said it. I mean, the fact that the coaching staff has not been able to fix this offense is really befuddling to me. I mean, that's what they do. They fix problems, and you know, are, are the quarterbacks so bad? that there's just nothing Navy can do with these guys, that could be the case, uh, you know, which would speak to an utter failure in recruiting, that, it, that you're bringing in guys that are just completely unable to run the option. And where is Perry Olsen now? Uh, I, I think Navy's regretting running Perry Olsen off, uh, but that's a story for another day. Um just real quickly with regard to Chris's point about Diego Fago, he's an NFL player. And if anyone had any doubt, go to the play in which he dropped into coverage, saw yep. the Zach yep. Smith rollout, <laughs> and my God, did he close the gap awfully quick. That was NFL-like. He just took off, and next thing you know, he's in Zach Smith's face before Zach Smith even realized he was coming. That was just put that on the film and the NFL scouts are going to be drooling. Uh, he is something else, but yeah, I don't, I'm with Chris. I, I don't know how you fix this between now and Saturday. And I'm starting to think they need another defensive performance. Like they got against Memphis and Tulsa where you, you know, hold them to field goals and maybe the defense has to score a touchdown or you got to figure out a way to score a special teams touchdown. Maybe try a trick play where you, throw it back across the field. I don't know, but uh, I'm not counting on this offense scoring more than 10 points. Yeah, here we are. Um, you know, another disappointing result 
uh, you know, we're three and six. And now really the, the main thing that we have to look forward to is Army next week. Uh, ESPN made it very clear today how big that game is. Uh, it's usually the only game on the schedule at this point in the season. But due to COVID, you have a lot of other stuff going on next weekend. Uh, the fighting Lane Kiffins of Ole Miss go to Texas A&M. LSU is at Florida. Cincinnati goes to Tulsa, which will be a very big game for the American Athletic Conference. Wisconsin-Iowa, yeah, Washington against Oregon, and then a small game between Michigan and Ohio State for posers who think that that's the best uh, rivalry in football. But recognizing what the best rivalry in football is, ESPN College Game Day is going to go to Mikey Stadium next week. So that is a big deal. Uh, we're excited about this. We're excited about the continued exposure. We're, cons- uh, we're obviously excited about how well the uniforms have been received on both ends. As we head into Army Week, Ward Carroll, think back to your, to your early days as a midshipman. I want your all-time best Army Week prank and your all-time favorite uh, Army-Navy game memory. Wow, that's a tall order. Let, off the top of my head, my all-time favorite Army Week prank, uh, beyond the rumble. So back in the day, there were rumbles that I remember going from 4-4 in Bancroft to 4-3 and looking down the passageway, and there was actually an open fire um, and smoke bombs and mattresses being thrown out of windows into goat court and full up rumbles happening uh, that, that were pretty over the top where vendettas were being oh, run to crazy ground. midshipmen back in the yeah, day. huh? Well, that was, this was, this was serious. And you know, the, there's the, during the time I was there, the, the West point exchange cadets would get their heads shaved um, at, at certain times. And that was always deemed to a, you know, too far. We went too far. Um, and, uh, but the best prank ever. So back in the day, the F4 Phantom that's now on hospital point in the, um, in the static display yard that's, that's there, um, next to the fire station, it was near the corner, um, where the goat and Lejeune hall are now. Um, and it, it actually rolled, (laughs) you could roll it. So some some group of of mids rolled it from where it was next to Thompson Field um, down the street by the residence there, uh, and then up the stairs of Bancroft uh, in T Court in into the 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 into Bancroft. So the nose of this F four was into the doors of Memorial Hall, um, and uh, that was that was pretty cool because you woke up in the morning. It's like holy smoke! There's the, the Phantom is. Is like in the doors here. Um, and of course, sheet posters were always good. Um, there was one time uh, where, and I, this was the year before I got there, um, but they spread a rumor that the president was going to go to the Army-Navy game um, and West Point was the home team, so they had to host uh, the, the VIP contingency. And so the limo pulled up and the doors opened and the Navy goat got out. Um, and, and so that was, that was kind of a cool um, prank as well. Um, the party at the Hilton right there on Broad Street was always a, a great time. Um, you know, and we'd go up there and my roommate the first two years lived in South Jersey in Morristown. So we'd stay at his house and then we'd go over and um, 
you know, the great memories in terms of the celebration. I remember my first Army-Navy game was at JFK, a stadium that's long since been demolished, the coldest stadium in the history of, of sport. Right there on the Schuylkill, the wind would howl through there. Um, so we uh, won that game handily. Um, probably the coldest I've ever been in a football game. The other games were at the vet. And then I remember my first class game. Eddie Myers fumbled the opening kickoff, and that set the tone. We were supposed to blow Army out, and it wound up being a 3-3 tie. So when I was a mid, we won three times and we tied once. Um, so as we know, and as we'll repeat many times in the coming week, anything can happen when Army and Navy take the field for this August contest. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll keep that in mind as we prognosticate and, and uh, you know, sort of get bummed out about Navy's offense. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of off the top of my head, John. Those, you know, obviously I've been to uh, dozens since I graduated. Um, including every other year now when we're the home team, I work the chains. Um, you know, I was there on the sidelines for the Snow Bowl in 2017, um, where we were walked back. My side judge is the guy that called those two illegal procedures that took us out of range um, in the driving snow. We lost by uh, two points that game. And I was there for Keenan's uh, sort of coming out party, if you will, um, in 2015. Um, which is a fantastic, uh, and it was pretty warm that game as well. It was very temperate that game. Yeah. 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 Nice. You were there. You were there. We were, we were right there. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, those are, those are great. I look forward to next year um, when we're going to be in uh, giant stadium um, in, in the Meadowlands and uh, it'll, will Navy will be the home team. So I'll, I plan on working that game, assuming we're back to quote unquote normal. Let's hope. Let's certainly hope. So, Wags, you've been covering this game for a very long time um, with a very encyclopedic knowledge. What's uh, what's your favorite uh, Army-Navy game from from your past of covering it? Hmm, there's so many, John. I mean, every game is unique in its own right, and I've enjoyed them all. Um, well, obviously – my first Army-Navy game, which I would have a hard time pinpointing because I was the assistant to the legendary Joe Gross, and I have to presume it was Baltimore, uh, one of the Baltimore games that I would have gone to. I don't seem to recall going to – well, I think I did go to Philly one time with Joe when he was the lead writer. So that would have been before 2001 when I took over the beat. But then obviously, uh, you know, the first few games that I did – and um, you know, obviously that the last season under Charlie Weatherby, which actually finished under Rick Lance because Weatherby was fired mid season yeah. and they had to turn to Rick Lance as an interim coach and Navy lost, uh, to complete a miserable season two and 10. And, uh, uh, well, actually that was a winless season. And then the next year, Paul Johnson's first year was two and 10, but one of them was a resounding victory over army with Craig Candido as the quarterback and that kind of spark that was that marked the turnaround of Navy football. Then the next year was when Navy broke through beat air force, had a winning season, et cetera, et cetera. And it was off to the races after that. But, you know, and then obviously the, the, the streak is something, I mean, for the bulk of the time that I've been the Navy beat writer, Navy's been on a streak of beating army. And then that ended when 
Zach Abey was forced to start at quarterback because Will Worth got hurt in the American Athletic Conference Championship game. So that was memorable as well in Baltimore. And, you know, Abey, he played okay and did his best to try to lead Navy to victory. It was a very close game. But, you know, seeing Navy's streak come to an end was notable. I can't say I've enjoyed the couple Army wins up in Philly. Um, last year was fun seeing Navy, you know, stomp Army and uh, really kind of reclaim some dominance in the series. So it'll be interesting to see where we are. You know, I'm working on my usual Sunday column and I'm looking at this Army schedule and my God, have they played the most cream puff schedule no in the history of college <laughs> football. Not not their fault because so many teams that were originally scheduled had, you know, backed out or didn't play football, what have you. But I mean, it's just been a never ending run of Conference USA, Sunbelt Conference, and FCS opponents, Abilene Christian, Middle Tennessee State. Um, the only two losses Army has suffered came to American Athletic Conference opponents, Cincinnati, which is obviously very good, and Tulane, which that should hearten Navy fans. Tulane stomped Army, and obviously we know that was one of Navy's three wins was against Tulane on its home field. So, you know, I, I don't know what the competitive – it's hard to judge how good Army is. But here's what I know. Army's running an effective triple option offense. Jeff Munkin makes sure of it. And that's the big difference, you know, and goes back to what Chris Cervello was saying. You know, what what is Navy going to do to effectively move the ball? We know that the service academies, Army and Air Force, play the option better than any opponent. So if Navy can't do squat against Memphis and Tulsa, what chance does it have to move the ball against a team that knows how to stop the option? And that's almost why I'm thinking it's not even worth trying to run the option against Army. I don't think they're going to be able to move the ball. Nor do I. Um, I, I actually am, am very worried. I, I think that this game would be like a – and this is why my segue into asking Jimmy the Greek for his prediction – I think that I think that this is going to be a nightmare to to try to predict because it can be a blowout on each side or it can be like a three three pillow fight uh, again, kind of like what we were seeing in the first half against Tulsa. Before I go over to Chris, I'll give you my favorite Army Navy game memory. Right before I got kicked out of West Point, the very best prank I ever saw, and this was in late November, early December of 1991. Uh, Navy flew like a small Cessna over like the West Point campus and dropped like thousands of ping pong balls that said beat Navy on them. And they were all bouncing like in kind of the equivalent of T court uh, at West Point, which was by far the best prank I've ever seen. Um, my favorite game I'm going to have to say is last year's actually the coming back after um, the streak ending and the way that they played and the way that they decidedly put an end to that. Uh, Chris Cervello and I obviously had a great amount of fun with the likes of Stevie Salata out there who eventually was on video for all the right and wrong reasons at the end of the game. Chris, yeah, it, the, those are my memories. Um, you know, what, what do you think, you know, your, your favorite army Navy or army week memory is. My favorite Army Week memory is uh, doing battle with cadet second class Adam Ake. Uh, he was our exchange cadet. 
And it was war between the plebes of 26th Company and this poor bastard from West Point. Uh, and it culminated in um, us taking his gray lady, uh, which I actually think we could have slept with his wife or mother, and he would have been less upset than when we I stole his I think we called gray. those green girls. Like, uh, like the, he, are you talking about his blanket? Yeah, he called it a gray lady. I, I mean, uh, I, it was a green uh, girl and, when I was uh, there. They must have, they must have changed it. Uh, and he <laughs> punched me in the face. I had never been hit that hard by another person, and he was not happy. Uh, the the fun and games of Army Week uh, had gotten to him. This was the Thursday night before we went up to Philly. Um, but my, yeah, my uh, most memorable time was messing with the cadet second class Adam Ake. My um, fondest memory actually was in 1989, long before I went to the Naval Academy, watching Frank Shank uh, as a young kid kick the winning yeah. field goal um, and watching him get mobbed by his classmates. Um, and uh, I thought, boy, that this is a really special game uh, and it's a really special tradition. And I, I would like to be a part of that. So that game is always uh, stuck with me. And then sort of the the ups and downs of kickers since then um, have, has cool. been a memorable part of, uh, of, of army Navy. So we'll see, I'm going to hold my prediction like you guys to the end of the week, yeah. but uh, I'm i I'm a little worried uh, going into the week. I'll never forget and not to, not to get onto a negative angle, but I'll, I will not ever forget the Ryan Buccinari kick. And then after the Ryan Buccinari kick, that that missed obviously finding out that you know that the mids had died right there by the world war ii memorial driving back from the game it kind of put the whole thing in perspective um you know that it was heartbreaking that that he had missed this kick but then all of a sudden i think and and ward might know a little better than i do i i, I want to say that the deceased mids and the car accident coming back who hit the tree that had fallen down coming right across bna uh, right by the World War II Memorial were in his company, or at least they were close to him. And uh, it was just one of those things that kind of put the game in perspective, you know, which was heartbreaking. Let's let's shift it up and start talking about uh, what we're going to bring you next week. Uh, one of my favorite memories of being at the Naval Academy uh, was having a pretty talented group of midshipmen working, you know, with me and, and never really for me. I, I was just the benefactor of a lot of funny dudes who were there. Uh, and we really got a lot of good press out of the spirit spots, not only for the army Navy game, but for army air Force or for Navy air force and for just general spirit spots. And one of the main guys who was behind that was, uh, a young lad named Ryland Tui, who is going to join us uh, tomorrow um, as we kick off daily podcast for Army Week. And, you know, I'm not going to give away too many of our guests, but, uh, you know, we, we plan on having former, you know, Philadelphia Eagles head coach Dick Vermeil uh, join us. Uh, Connor Crean, uh, also known as Cons on the Zero Blog 30 uh, podcast, is joining us. Um, you know, we're going to be joined by our, our very favorite fan, Unsat Mid. And, you know, we, we think a couple of other special guests to include some former soups on both sides uh, of the Navy and Army battle. So we're going to bring you daily pods, quick hitters with, with guests who will bring in their analysis and their memories. And, and hopefully that'll be entertaining for you guys. 
Um, but yeah, look out for daily pods and then we'll bring you our predictions uh, as we get to toward the end of the week, Thursday or Friday. Uh, before I sign it off, Chris, any other public service announcements for our uh, loyal fans? No, it's uh, going to be an exciting week. Uh, beat Army, beat Army, beat Army. Ward Carroll. Uh, I second what Chris just said. You know, there's nothing like Army Week in the yard. Exciting that we're, we're doing a special episode every day with some great guests. So that's in keeping with how special this week is. And Bill Wagner. Well, you know, you asked me earlier, what are some of my great memories? Well, you know, one memory is the fact of when it's played in a unique location. They've played it at the FedEx Field, home of the Washington Redskins, was a little bit unique. Next year is going to be cool at the new Meadowlands. And there's, I know already that the gala, the Friday night gala, which I normally don't go to, I will be going next year because it's supposed to be at the Statue of Liberty. So that will be cool. Um and then, uh, but this year is going to be memorable. You, you, never again in our lifetime will Army-Navy be played on the campus of one of the two service academies. This game's going to be played at Mikey Stadium. Uh, I've been to West Point. I've covered lacrosse games at Mikey Stadium, and I have covered basketball games at the uh, Crystal Arena. But this will be the first time I've ever covered a football game at West Point, Mikey Stadium. That's going to be really unique. There'll be all sorts of Army-Navy week coverage in the Capitol. One story I'm working on, and I've already found someone who was a West Point cadet in 1944, the last time the Army-Navy game was played at Mikey Stadium. If there's anyone out there that was either attended that game or was even a student at the Naval Academy that year that is still with us, if you know anyone like that, let me know because I'm looking. Um, but obviously that game, the midshipmen did not go up to Mikey Stadium. They did not feel it was during World War II and they did not want to bust the brigade up there. And as Ward Carroll told us many pods ago, they forced the Corps of Cadets. Half of them had a route for Navy, which was bizarre. So <laughs> this time the brigade will be there. And I've heard already that that's a monumental undertaking to have to bust the entire brigade all the way up to Mikey. A lot of uh, logistics for the Navy folks, and boy, oh boy, I've, I just received this morning a list of what I have to do just to get into the stadium. It is monumental, and they're telling us they want us in there by 10.30 in the morning for a 3.30 game. So uh, that part I'm not looking forward to, but yeah, it's going to be a very interesting Army-Navy game for sure. Remember Chet mentioned 170 buses or something? You know, it's going to be a, a massive undertaking. There has to be social distancing on the buses. Um, so like Wag said, this is uh, this is going to be something to get the brigade up and back there. Mikey Stadium is cold. Like, it's just cold. And and I know that my, my experience here is dated back to 1991. But even in, like, October, it just howls through there. So we'll, uh, we'll see what... We'll see what it looks like. Hopefully, they've got you an indoor spot in the uh, press box, Wags, and and we will join you every single day this coming week uh, with special guests for this pod. Um, you know, an unfortunate loss to Tulsa, but now, like like all these guys said, it really only matters what happens next week, and that's Army Navy, the very best rivalry. Tune in with us all week as we get you ready and then go Navy, beat Army. This is Sing Second Sports. Until tomorrow, we are out.
The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments. 